0: Welcome to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, a podcast for therapy group practice owners. I'm your host, Maureen Warbach. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Episode 1 of the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how to know if owning a group practice is right for you. There's a bunch of reasons that clinicians in private practice would consider expanding and starting a group, And there's also several ways clinicians can expand. So I want to talk about that first. One way to expand is to be a sole owner where you expand and hire employees or 1099 independent contractors. And this is what I did. You can also uh, co-own a group and that's where two or more clinicians own a group equally and hire 1099s or independent contractors or employees. And when you co-own a group, one might be managing the business aspect and the other might manage the clinicians. And then the other style is a co-op style group practice in which several solo practitioners join together to form a group. And the benefit of this is you can improve visibility, you can reduce overhead costs, and create connections We could spend several episodes talking about the ways of expanding from solo practice to group practice and the different forms of group practice, but for the sake of simplicity, today's episode will talk about growing your solo practice into a group practice where you're the main owner and you hire 1099s or employees. So there are many reasons that you may be thinking about starting a group practice. Maybe you're full, maybe you have a wait list and you're referring out a lot, or you may have had your long-term goal be to own a group practice. Many group practice owners want a sense of community as well, and this is another reason why they start hiring on people. So these are great reasons to think about starting a group practice. Another important consideration is do you have the skills and the ability to grow skills of owning a business? And that's something that uh, we don't hear a lot about. We don't get this education from school, from our master's and doctorate programs about how to actually manage a business. We learn all of the clinical work, but none of the business work. You clearly already have started gaining business skills if you own a group practice, so you're already two steps ahead. Um, You just need to expand on this when you own a group practice because there are some aspects of business ownership that change when you own a group versus when you have a solo practice. I decided to grow my practice into a group because of many things. I was full, I felt a little isolated being by myself, and I really enjoyed helping other people grow. And I also wanted my community to have more services I had calls coming in to do counseling in areas that I wasn't specializing in, and I was really excited about finding other professionals who focused on different areas and different populations. I have a little bit of risk inside of me, so I felt confident that I could wing it. Side note, winging it can work. You spend a lot more time and effort than you need to in making the group work, but I'm hoping I can help you not wing it. So I want to give you a few things to consider before starting your group practice. And if you already have a group practice, these are still really useful things to consider in making sure that you're making the best use of your skills and making your group grow as much as it can. Are you organized? Can you organize your business so that it can be successful? This is something I'm actually really good in because I'm pretty organized as a person. But I know a lot of people where organization just doesn't come naturally and it's not their strong suit. You can still own a group, but it's something to consider. It helps to be organized in your own practice, but once you bring other clinicians in, it's even more important to organize the structure and the systems within your group. For example, when I first started my group, uh, being naturally an organized person, I realized how many questions to consider that my employees would ask from me, like how to handle nonpayment, the steps for who handles intakes, scheduling, billing, clinician, clinician roles, time off, Case consultation, the list goes on. When you're working by yourself in solo practice, you make these rules up as you go sometimes, if you're not if you didn't think about this ahead of time. But when you have a group, your clinicians will start asking you these questions and you'll realize that you actually have to have a system in place for all of these things. So can you get organized so that you can have these systems in place? So being able to stay organized is important. Another thing to consider is can you be a boss? Whether you hire ten ninety-nines or employees, You are the ultimate decision maker. You have to make the final decisions. Have professional boundaries and give feedback, whether it's good or bad. And this is something that I was not really great with in the beginning, giving feedback to staff when they weren't doing notes on time or when they were taking more time off than appropriate, supervising clinicians. This is something that I had to grow within myself. Also, expect to be on call at all times. Now, obviously, you need to have some sort of boundaries between your personal and professional life. I'm not saying that you have to always answer your phone every time the phone rings. But at the end of the day, all things lead back to you. When things go wrong, and they inevitably will, you have to fix it. Maybe your answering service makes mistakes, or a client complains and your clinician doesn't know how to handle it, or your accountant emails you, or you have a window break in your office. You have to handle it, whether you're on vacation or not. So about the window... I live in Chicago, and last week uh, we had a major windy day, so anyone in Chicago would know about this. Uh, It's February. We had a huge, huge uh, windy day, and, I mean, cars were just waving in the wind. Um, And I wasn't in the office, and we had a window break. Uh, The whole window, frame and all, flew out. Luckily, it flew out of my office and not into it, um, and luckily, there was no one in my specific office at the time. So my clinical director gives me a call and says, "The window's blown out." I was the one that had to call the building management company, meet them at the office to have it fixed, and bring in space heaters. This is obviously something that the owner of a group practice would do. Clearly not something that happens on a daily basis or hopefully yearly. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's my responsibility as a group practice owner to handle it as quickly as possible so that our clinicians continue on with their treatment. Things like this happen. Last year, the heat went out of my building. I had to run and buy space heaters for every room. It took six weeks to fix the heat. Don't even ask about this. Over the summer, I grew my group practice, and we moved downstairs from where we initially were into a larger suite that had gotten built out. I furnished the whole space. We started seeing clients, and we realized we could hear each other through the rooms. Insert me freaking out here researching tools to fix it, throwing soundproofing between the drop ceiling and the ceiling, and buying seven sound machines for every room. That's no one's responsibility but mine. So these are the things that you have to consider is, you know, can you be on call enough to make sure that when things happen, you can effectively find a solution for it as quickly as possible? My point is that you'll spend a lot of time, especially in the beginning, on non-income producing things, but the reward at the end is great. So, considering these things, do you feel confident enough to tackle group ownership? I find it to be awesome to own a group, and I feel so great having made that decision four years ago. It challenges me in so many ways in being creative, which is something that inspires me, in being organized, my social skills, because let me tell you, I'm really introverted, and my natural tendency is to not be in charge, but to be on my own, to be independent. It challenges me financially. I've learned so much about budgeting, accounting, taxes, billing, you name it. It challenges me to have clinicians who encompass my vision for my group and how I want the community to see my group. It challenges me to network more, see above for my major fears of communicating to more than one person at a time. This podcast, by the way, is another way to challenge myself. So side note about me. I have a bucket list, and one of the things on my bucket list, aside from visiting every country in the world, is to lose my fear of public speaking. And when I say public speaking, I'm saying talking to more than one person or two people at a time without getting nervous or losing my train of thought. So far, I've taught a college-level psychology course as a way to work on this, and this podcast is another goal in that bigger goal. So back on topic, owning a business will challenge you in ways that are amazing. Amazing in growth opportunities as a person and as a professional. So not only do you need to be an effective boss, but you have to also be able to be willing to let go of a little bit of control. When you have your own solo practice, you're in control of every aspect of your practice. But when you form a group, you're letting go of a little bit of that. You're trusting in your clinicians. You trust that you've hired the right person who can counsel clients effectively, do the paperwork that's required in a timely fashion, and represent your business in the way that you want them to. I've heard a lot of stories from group practice owners who've hired people and realized after the fact that those clinicians that they hired didn't accurately represent their business the way they wanted them to. And that's really hard because then you have to make some decisions, hard decisions, that most of us in the helping field have a hard time doing. What goes along with trusting your clinicians and the staff that you do have for your group practice is is that you're also adding some liability on your end as a group practice owner. And that's a whole different topic that we can go into a little bit further and also something that you can talk with your attorney about. But when you're in solo practice, you're liable for just yourself. And when you form a group, your group to some sense becomes liable for the employees that it has. Jumping off of that idea, can you handle mess-ups within your group? Because there are mess-ups. People make mistakes Clinicians will make mistakes. You'll make mistakes. And if you can handle those mistakes as graciously as you can, it'll help you move forward more quickly. I think that's a hard one for a lot of people who might have a little tendency to be anxious on the inside. But I think it's something that you can learn to control. Another thing to consider is, are you willing to work more on billable hours at first, uh, short-term extra work, not getting paid for it, for the long-term benefit and what I mean by this is when you first start a group practice there's so much that gets put into it that you're not going to see an income for or an immediate return of investment things like marketing and networking and interviewing potential clinicians and putting ads out there that's all time and for some of it money that you're spending and you can't actually pay yourself for that in the short term Obviously, all of those things in the long term should potentially yield you some income, but it's always something to consider in the beginning is that you're spending a lot of time, aside from seeing your own clients, um, putting hours and manpower into making your group practice grow. Another biggie is, are you a good financial planner? You don't have to be, but are you willing to learn? Um, What I noticed is that I knew nothing when I thought I knew enough about financial planning, and it wasn't until I jumped into group practice work that I realized that there's so much more to the financial aspect of staying organized and making sure that you're allocating uh, money in the right places and that you're getting the right amount of income. Um, They call this P&L, profit and loss statements. It's really important that you start from the beginning monitoring your profits and monitoring your losses and making sure that there's a right balance for that. An accountant is good for this as well. The last thing that's important to consider, at least I think it's important to consider, is your mindset. I uh, recently read this book by Carol Dweck called Mindset, and I think this is a good one for any business owner to read. But are you growth-minded or are you fixed-minded in terms of your mindset? When you're fixed-minded, you see your business and any failings or shortcomings as a reflection of who you are, and that's not going to be good for business. But being growth minded means that you can separate yourself from your business and see that the shortcomings, the failings, the roundabouts and the extra time that you spend, these are all potential opportunities for growth and that it's not a reflection of you as a person. This is something to keep in mind. So like for me, I know that I'm really good at helping group practice owners and helping people who are starting a group practice thrive, but I know I'm not that great at podcasting. So my first few episodes, I'm sure, are not gonna be my best, but I'm gonna keep a growth-minded outlook on this and know that as I continue to do these, what I'm trying to convey will come out better and better throughout these sessions. With that in mind, I wanna leave you with an action item. Think about some of the strengths that you have that will help you grow your business as a group, and also think about some of the weaknesses that you might have or some weaknesses within your solo practice or group practice that might hinder you from thriving and write those down and think about how you can use those things to your benefit. I hope you found this episode useful. Give me some time and I know I'm going to get better at making these podcasts. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the group practice exchange podcast. I hope to see you here next week. Bye.